welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode of Oil & Gas Onshore is powered by mCloud. MCloud is helping businesses all over the world curb energy waste, maximize energy production, and get the most out of critical energy infrastructure. MCloud is a leading provider of AI-powered asset management and environmental, social, and governance solutions. They've recently announced an all-in-one connected worker solution enabling the digital oil field and enhancing the productivity and safety of field workers across the energy interest industry. This technology is known as Asset Care Mobile. And it allows connected workers in the field to instantly access critical information about their assets in real time, communicate and collaborate with experts and other coworkers remotely, easily share photos and videos of equipment requiring repair, digitize processes and workflows such as operator rounds and field inspections, and work more safely in hazardous environments. To learn more, visit mcloudcorp.com or by clicking the link in the show notes. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here in Zoomland at the Houston Cannon with Jason Erb, Executive Sales Representative in Energy and Resources at Sodexo. Jason, you came in clutch, but welcome to the show. <laughs> came in clutch, man. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity and you know, I'm thankful to even be here. So I know you and I have a kind of a crazy way we met, but it's, you know, I just appreciate you giving me the time and I'm thankful for the opportunity from you for sure. Yeah, no, it's actually, and again, we had this lined up. I had invited you on the show, but being in the podcast world, you know, you have some people that, you know, just due to the nature of business, some things come up, whether it's, you know, business or life in general, and people have to reschedule. And I had this block open. And so I looked down this, down the pipeline of who was coming on and, and then I was like, man, it'd be fun to, to get on here with you. And so I appreciate you make like, I think you had less than 24 hours to prepare. So, you know, Jason's been, you know, in the mirror rehearsing, it's been crazy. So this is going to be a mic dropper of a show. I'm so excited. We're, we're winning an Oscar on this one, buddy. We're, yeah. we're, we're gunning for the Oscar. That's it. That's it. Well, no, I do appreciate, man. And where are you joining from today? I'm in Dallas. So I'm in Dallas. Our main office for Sodexo Energy and Resources is in Houston. So they kind of give me a, a little bit of grief. The midpoint is, you know, around Centerville, Madisonville. So they always ask me, you know, what I'm always driving down there. So they ask, where are you at? Are you north and south of the line? Where, you know, are you going to be here? Where are you? So yeah, anyways, I'm in Prosper, which is about 45 minutes, 40 minutes north of Dallas proper. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know you do travel a lot, man, because I think like, I don't know, it was like maybe a couple of weeks ago, you sent me a text and you said, and for some reason, I either had your number, but I didn't store it, but it, you took a picture like I can smell the homeland or something like that. And I was like, who in the world? And you were like way up in Washington or like, where were you? We were in Ferndale. Was and that for work or for play? That was for work. Ah. We were at a refinery in Ferndale, visiting with some folks there and talking about mobilization and, you know, talking about some other capabilities that we could do at the refinery there for a P66 refinery in Ferndale. And, you know, I knew you were from that the Northern territory up there. I was like, dude, I'm in your neck of the woods up here. Yeah. I could, it was, you know, it was, I was getting to where I was seeing Sasquatch signs and, you know, big, beware of big, <laughs> I, like, I, I don't know how Justin doesn't have to worry about Sasquatch and Bigfoot all the time, but yeah, it was, man, it was yeah. for sure, but it was, you know, great people, great company, but we had a good time. So yeah, it was way up there. I guess it was maybe 20, 30 minutes from Vancouver. 
All right. Okay. Nice. Yeah. That's pretty close, man. I mean, that's like right across a few, maybe waterways, but it's up there, man. And how was the weather up there when you were there? It was off and on, which I've never been to Seattle. Like this is my, I say Seattle because that's obviously what we flew into, but I've never been to Seattle. It was nice for an hour and then it, you know, something, the clouds are blowing and it rained for a little bit and it'd get cool and it'd get kind of warm again and it would rain for a little bit. It was off and on, but it wasn't bad. I mean, it was kind of like the winter weather down here in Texas. So it was, you know, kind of cloudy. I mean, it would just rain a little bit and it'd just blow out. So yeah, no, it's BC is not, you don't get really harsh conditions of either like heat or like cold, but I mean, at least when I was growing up in BC, which I grew up just East of Vancouver, like five hours in a small town, I say small, it's like relatively small town of Vernon, British Columbia, but it's in the Valley. And so like for six, seven months, it's just cloudy and rainy and like snowy, which is kind of, you know, kind of crappy. But then the summers are beautiful. So you kind of give up you know, a bunch of overcast clouds and you're kind of living in smog for a good portion of the year. But yeah, that part of the country is beautiful, man. I miss it a ton. But to kind of switch gears and you mentioned kind of how we met, which I mean, more and more lately, you know, building relationships online, you know, whether that's romantic relationships, if you're someone looking for a spouse or, you know, professional relationship, looking to conduct business, it's like everything is moving to online. And I laugh because you know, again, so to, you know, we met on LinkedIn, which is like, you know, match.com for professionals, right. but, but you know, you, you know, you look back 10 years from now. And if you were to say, how'd you meet your wife online? You'd be like, would just be very taboo and kind of like, ah, kind of look down upon, like, what are you doing? Like some weirdo in your parents' basement going online to search people. Like that just seems odd. But now I mean, more people meeting online, whether again, like whether it's to meet a, like a partner for your, you know, a life partner or business, it's moved to that. And I have just met so many quality people on LinkedIn. And it's because that's where, you know, most of the time I play for social media is on LinkedIn. And again, I met a guy for coffee this morning, kind of same thing. You know, we hit it off on LinkedIn. You know, he said some super kind words, engaged with some of the content. Next thing you know, we're having coffee. And now we may find opportunity to work together. And so it's kind of the same thing for you. And so I'm curious, Jason, from your standpoint, being in sales, how has the power of social media and LinkedIn sort of either helped or accelerated your ability to build relationships in business? Oh, wow. Good question. You know, obviously we have to talk how it's accelerated through COVID, right? I mean, because that was something that people turned to for either... I mean, you could say it was a release or just finding out, you know, what other people were doing in different segments, different industries, or just trying to figure out, you know, the guy that you talked to six months ago, you know, if they're even posting, right? Mm -hmm. The one thing that I've seen that has changed, I think, through the COVID aspect, and now if you want to call it coming out of COVID, is the fact that I tend to gravitate more towards the social media aspects that are truly genuine. That's something that I look for. And it's something from a sell side that I don't really try to portray that. I think it's just part of the DNA of folks, you know, whether you're in sales or whether you're in, you know, if you're a mechanical engineer, if you're a physician, or if you're a teacher, I think it's just part of the DNA in some folks of how they just what they put out on social media, right? I mean, I think that the things that you see on social media, LinkedIn's very different from Instagram. Instagram's a little bit different from Twitter. All these have their really their main focus, but I only, I only, I'm only on social or uh, social media is LinkedIn. That's the only thing I'm on. 
And to me, from a sales side, I try to, it, I don't really necessarily call it branding per se, but I just really want to be someone that people can look up to, you know? And I think that's, you know, you and I had had conversations about my past and how I grew up and, you know, not knowing my mom and things like that. I think those are just some of the things that are ingrained in my DNA that I look to from other people. And I try to give back to other people. And Mm. it's just some of those things as in a salesperson, I don't know. I can't describe how or what I try to do. I just can say that what I push out there is genuine, What I try to, and what I look for to me needs to be genuine. And I think that's what I saw when, you know, in the post that you had on LinkedIn and your wife too, because you guys kind of, I swear you guys post at the same time or each morning. It's like a battle for who's going to do it first. But Well, fortunately, there's tools that we use. We pre-schedule a lot of that. So it's automated. And so through, you know, again, she's big on there, but to just really, just to kind of add to that, we don't sit there at our breakfast table, which is, (laughs) and even if we did, it would be funny, but yeah, it's, we schedule it and, and we found a time that we find that gets the most engagement. So that's what that is. I'm usually, I'm not even on LinkedIn when I'm typically posting because it's already (laughs) pre-planned. Yeah, no, I always see it. I'm like, man, did she get that first? Or did he get that first? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, but, but it's those things that you guys aren't necessarily talking about, you know, the professional side, you're also talking about the human element side too, or you bring them both in as a mix. And to me, it's, I guess, if you want to bring it back to sales, I'm looking for the mix, right? I'm not necessarily looking for the person or the company or, you know, the decision maker, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that you know, how do I resonate with this person? Or, you know, what does this person post on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter or whatever like that? I want to know what's behind the scenes. You know, I want to know, I know you're talking about your company. I know that the company's successful. I know that, you know, you've won many awards and things like that, but I want to know who Justin is. I want to know like what makes that person. And I think that's where the relationships come in from a sales perspective is truly to be engaged and intent with someone to where, you're getting past the sell side of it and you're really getting in, getting into, you know, building a relationship with someone, you know, it gets past. I think to me, it just, there's a barrier you see with some salespeople that they do it strictly for sales. They're in this process, a sales process. Yeah. I don't see it as that. I see it as, you know, yeah. Yeah. Is my occupation sales? Yes. But I see it almost as if I like talking to people, you know, and I like learning from people. I like being vulnerable. I like being humble. And if people can see that and I can take things away from how my growth and giving back to people, and I think people appreciate that, then I can learn from that too, right? I mean, I can gain certain nuggets from other people that have gone through certain experiences too. So that's, I mean, that's what I look for. You know, it's yeah. not just the skill sets and it's not just uh, who can, you know, sign on the dotted line. I want to know what people, who people are. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's, everyone's different. Everyone comes from a different background and you know, how someone got to be a chemical engineer can be very different from how someone could be a chemical engineer in Ponca City. I mean, it's just, or a physician or whoever it may be, you know, the, it's just that everyone's on a different path and everyone's path is different. And I like to learn about those paths. I mean, I think it's extremely interesting. Maybe that's just a me thing, but I think that's just what I find that I gravitate to is if that makes sense. No, it, it totally does. For the artificial, superficial, what's on the surface stuff. I look for things that if they are posting and if I'm going into social media, I look for things that, oh man, you know, this tells me a little bit more about that person. I want to ask why, you know, I want to ask what happened, you know, triggers almost. 
Yeah, no. And I mean, you touched on a lot of great points, but I think to kind of hear what you're saying in, in summarizing it, it's like, there's a few ways to look at it, right? As the consumer of LinkedIn, you're looking for information that, or with people that you can identify with and that you can, that you can trust and that you can lean on and appreciate and that you find valuable, whether it be through their experience, their role, you know, it's LinkedIn, just like every other social media platform has changed the way it's consumed. I mean, you look at Facebook, the, what it's set out to be, you know, it was for college kids to get to know each other. And now it's, you know, it was one of like the biggest advertising platforms in the world. And then you look at Instagram, it was a way to, you know, take pictures of food for like, you know, photographers to share you know pictures and, you know, and then it became, you know, completely different. And just like LinkedIn, it was, you know, it was a way to post for jobs and look for jobs. Now that's always a huge component of it, but a lot of it is finding people who you want to do business with. And as a consumer, it's like, let me, you know, get through the noise. And if there's someone that I identify with, well, Hey, let's make a professional connection and see how we can help each other. And then, you know, from the creator side, I think it provides tremendous opportunity for underpriced attention, but good attention. And it humanizes a lot of the interaction and it helps create a brand. It helps you build your brand, but I also like to almost sometimes replace brand with reputation. If you can build a reputation online, then a lot of those conversations that you have with people you're trying to do business with, they automatically know who you are and you can accelerate the pace at which you conduct business with somebody because there's like, oh, well, if I want to get to know someone pre-COVID, you know, it would be maybe I'll stalk them on Facebook and see, you know, like what they're into. But for the most part, you didn't really have a way of getting information on people from other than just meeting them for a coffee or a quick 15 minute meeting. But now with the access to information, people can do business with people they truly want to do business with and understanding who those people are. Because now, you know, if you're someone who exposes yourself and puts yourself out there, you can't really run and hide. So if I'm doing business with you and I do you wrong, well, then you could easily see me posting stuff that like, is like, wait, that goes against his values because the way he treated me is totally different than what he's preaching online. And so like, you kind of, by putting yourself out there, it's like, here's who I am. Everyone knows who I am. If I did business with somebody, you know, and I do something wrong, like I'm going to get exposed. And so that's what I like about it. It's like, let's just expose people and in a good way and the cream will rise. And the ones who are, you know, maybe don't conduct business in, in the right way from, you know, a relationship standpoint, then they kind of get weeded out. And so as a salesman and someone who's in business development, like what's the easiest differentiator? It's like who you are as a person, right? Yep. Yep. I think that's where I try to, I always picture myself, I won't ever be the smartest in the room, especially in the business I'm in right now. I mean, you know, you're talking about guys that they're whizzes and they understand, (laughs) they understand how to make something that comes out of the ground and get a plane up in the air and make it fly. I mean, (laughs) you're right. Yeah. It's incredible. Right. And I won't ever be, matter of fact, I was, you know, I was at a meeting last week in Ponca City at the refinery down there. And, you know, with a room of folks and I just stood up and I said, look, I'll be the first one to admit, you know, I am nowhere near the level of where you guys are from a mechanical engineering standpoint. But I will tell you from what I've learned and what I've seen, I can create solutions that can help you, you know, standardize and bring an economy to scale and save money and capitalize on certain efficiencies, all these things that are out there. But I'll be the first one to tell you that I'm again, I'm not there to be the first one or the smartest in the room. That's not my job. And, you know, I think being vulnerable on LinkedIn or social media helps you do that, right? 
you know, and I think that replacing the brand with reputation is spot on. To me, that's spot on because I don't, brand almost seems to me it's super, it's kind of artificial, you know? Right. Yeah. It's kind of diluted. <laughs> yeah. I want someone to know if they pull up something on LinkedIn or if they know someone just through LinkedIn or any type of social media, what's the first thing they think of when they think of your, of Justin or Jason or, or Nicole or, or Manny or whoever, you know, what's the first thing they think of? And mm-hmm. that's what I want people to know of me. It's almost like you're building your own legacy through social media. That's you know? exactly. And yeah, that's a great way to put it is you can build a, a legacy if you will. And, and two, it's, you know, to make yourself marketable, it's, you know, everyone's trying to claw their way to the top some more than others. But, you know, I know a lot of people who through posting online and building their seller reputation, a brand positioning themselves as an expert in their field through the content they create, get great job opportunities. So it's like, you know, it's a tight market out there. Obviously the demand for good talent is high. So it may be a little easier now to get a job than it has been in the past, but that's just another element to it too. It's like, you want the best job out there, put yourself out there because people are online combing through, you know, people's content and their, you know, dynamic resumes of their experience to say, you know, there's, there's a lot of headhunters out there combing LinkedIn, looking for the best people out there. And so it's like, Hey, it's underpriced attention. But anyway, you know, I want to back up a little bit because you mentioned earlier on, you know, kind of your upbringing and I'd like to hear your story, you know, where you're from and then really kind of how you got into the energy industry. So start off, you know, where were you born and where'd you grow up? I'll take it in clumps. So not far from where you guys are right now in Bryan, Texas. I'd always say Bryan, then I don't say College Station because back then it was Bryan, <laughs> College Station. And we had a high school in Bryan and a high school in College, College Station consolidated. And back then, I'll and I'll probably date my age, but back then there was one Taco Bell on Texas Avenue. And that was the dividing point. And whoever made it to that Taco Bell first after the games on Friday, that's who that Taco Bell belonged to. So it either belonged to Bryan or it belonged to Consolidated. So no way. Yeah, it was crazy. So we had the Vikings and we had the, you know, consolidated the Tigers there. So it was you know, it was a fierce battle. You know, it was, Brian was, you know, considered the, you know, kind of the brawl and consolidated was, you know, under the wings of the professors at AM and those kids that were there. And it's changed a bit. It's changed a lot, actually. So we were, there was a fierce battle between the both of us, where, you know, when we played and yeah, it was fun. But Brian is where I grew up in the men. It's changed so much between, you know, obviously AM's there and it's changed because of AM. It's the hub. And, it's the place is booming now. Every time I go back, it's it's just, you know, it's booming. But born and raised there, went to JC and Brenham, dabbled in some sports there, tried to dabble in some sports at AM and then ended up at, at UNT. And that's where I stayed. Met my wife, who was at the time at tech. And this is long story short, and it seems kind of wild, but <laughs> I, I have some family that was in Innocent, Texas, and she was the best friend of my cousin who, when I came up to Dallas, she said, well, you need to meet so-and-so. And I kind of blew it off, you know, first couple of months. But yeah, after I met her, it was, it became one of those scenarios where she thought I was a jerk or thought I was like too cocky and she blew me off. And I was like, well, that can't happen. So the chase was <laughs> on. Right? And the rest is yeah. history. So, nice. Anyway, so the rest is history. She went to UTA, became a NICU nurse, and that's what she's been doing for ages now. So we have three kids. My oldest is going into ninth, which is is shocking to me. He's playing football. He's, I mean, he's playing basketball, kind of running the, the same course I was. Nice. Jules, my daughter, she's just a socialite. I think she's just her mom in the making, other than, you know, Jen, 
you know, she was in basketball track, all that kind of stuff, but she doesn't want anything to do with running and the thing to do with balls. Maybe she's, she kind of is gravitating towards volleyball. So I'm kind of like, what do we got to do? What do we got to do to get you in volleyball? What do we got to yeah. do? Yeah. Like, and then my youngest Jackson, they're all J's. So I'm Jason, my wife's Jennifer. We named them J's. Jake, ah, Jackson. That's right. Yeah. He's going in the fourth and he's doing the same thing. So he's in football, basketball, mainly a little bit of track. So it's keeping us busy. The funniest thing is, is how I got into sales is how I got to UNT. So a significant other, and it's funny how, you know, just roads go, but I came up to Dallas because of a significant other that, you know, didn't pan out the way it, it would. And I think she's doing great. I'm doing great. We, it's, lives are fantastic, but it's just funny how things turn over. Her dad came to me and says, Hey, you'd be great at sales. And I was like, what sales? I'm going to be a salesman. And all I can think about was like, what am I going to sell cars or, you know, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. I, don't know what t- I didn't really put two and two together, you know? And so he was building pools at the time and I started doing that. And one thing led to another and I got a job at a physician recruiting company called Mayor Hawkins. And I stayed there for, man, almost 12, 13 years and kind of grew up in the leadership levels, running a team, about four or five people under me. And then that was like a certain transactional type business making, you know, 60, 80 dials a day, getting on the road Monday through Friday, once a month, meeting with physicians, medical groups, healthcare practices, you name it, and just putting together medical staff plans and just basically a retained service for physician recruiting. So from that, I got into a company called Compass, which is a competitor of Sodexo. And I stayed there for about, I don't know, 10 years. And then I got a call from Sodexo Energy. And leading up to that, I had no idea that Sodexo even, Compass didn't, but Sodexo did. Aramark did. There's Sodexo, Aramark, and Compass, but Sodexo played in the energy space. And to me, it was like Sodexo Energy, what do you guys do? I thought it was more or less, you know, electrical and type things like HVAC with, you know, schools and things of that nature. But when I got into it, it was like, no, we deal with oil and gas. And we still didn't have it defined at the time two, three years ago, but now we're, we are defining it in that it's basically we are the support service system for downstream refineries, whether it's petrochem, whatever it may be, petrochem anything. And it could be from Ferndale to Beaumont to the Golden Triangle to all the way up to Bayway in in Pennsylvania, Jersey. But it's letting guys run the critical path, focusing on what they do best on the main product and then us doing the support systems that are around it. You know, and that could be from HVAC to general mechanic work, general carpentry work, landscaping, janitorial food service. It could be running things such as hydration, food tents. I mean, you name it. It's basically wow. a lot for turnarounds too. We just got finished with a turnaround up in Billings. So it's there's a lot that we do that people just don't know of us yet. But I think that we're making some headway in terms of just, you know, it takes a lot to run a refinery other than you know making your refinery run. So we're just the component outside of it to say, hey, you do what you do best. Let us do what we do best. And we'll, we'll meet in the middle. So to speak. Wow. No, that's really neat. I mean, cause I'm on the upstream side and the only sort of recollection I have of someone like that is, you know, working offshore, there was, you know, there's a food services. So like someone like, you know, diamond offshore, like they yep. don't have their own cooks. It's, you know, it's, it's contracted out or whatever. And so, but yeah, like even just looking at office buildings and like, there's so much like businesses 
like they're not vertically integrated to do everything. Like you said, like they've got a business to run and it's produce hydrocarbons, but in order to conduct business, they need all these other services that help their business run. And then that's where you guys come in and fill all the gaps, which is really cool. Like it's such an interesting industry and market that I guess I would have, until meeting you, I never really even thought of. I didn't either. I didn't even, I didn't, <laughs> yeah. existed to be honest. And, you know, it piqued my curiosity and I was like, wow, this is a pretty cool, you know, space to play in right here. And I just, you know, after a couple of years in it, I just, you know, I fell in love with it. I absolutely yeah. fell in love with it. And it's almost one of those things where, you know, now I know why that, you know, there are families of families of families, generation after generation after generation that are in oil and gas. It's hard not to fall in love with it, right? I mean, especially, you know, these days where, you know, it's front and center of everything, of course, but, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly is out there, but it's hard not to fall in love with just the culture of it, you know? It's almost like a family atmosphere to every refinery that I go to, every company that I'm doing work with, it's, they have their own select culture but it always it's always feels like a family type culture and i think it's just that pure that oil and gas energy that you get from that segment or from what we do for lack of a better statement and it's hard to describe but i absolutely fell in love with yeah no it's fascinating man and so for you being good at providing services and you know working for another organization i mean you're business to business just as i am but you know i think leadership in our roles as, you know, in your case, an executive salesman, people want to do business with leaders and people they can trust. And you posted something that I wanted to touch on. It was an HBR article called Ego is the Enemy of Good Leadership. And so, you know, I think ego is an interesting topic and stuff that I've, you know, really tried to self-reflect on. I mean, in high school, I think a lot of folks have an ego and then coming out of high school and college, you know, we kind of let our ego drive us to some degree, but as we get older, it can also hurt us, but I'm curious on that, you know, you posted it. What was the biggest takeaway from that article? And, and can you speak on leadership and ego and perhaps kind of the marriage between the two? And yeah, I'm just, again, curious for someone like yourself with your experience, what your thoughts are. I'm big on energy. Like what type of energy someone's giving back to me? You know, if it's positive, fantastic. Let's grow with it. Let's build momentum. Let's snowball it. If it's negative, I, I kind of want to know how I can change that energy or why. And ego is a part of that. The biggest factor that I pulled away from the article was put, just put yourself in other people's shoes, right? I mean, it's just don't lead with your vision in mind because if you're in a room of 50, you got 40, 49 other people, other, you know, their visions are trying to get in the same mix as well. So you have to be flexible. I'm also big on just from a leadership perspective of just, I know it's a vague term, but I think it means a whole, whole lot these days is servant leadership. And I'm huge on that. Pulling back the curtains on my end a bit. And after 10 years, I finally just relinquished the role here. But Prosper Youth Sports Association is a 501c3 nonprofit. And we have football, basketball, flag, volleyball, golf. And it's all youth sports. And I've ran it for, well, I was president for it for basically about five years. And underneath from five years beyond that, I was a commissioner of some sort. And I always told myself I wanted to get back, right? not just to youth, but, you know, just to a community in general. And when I got into that, I started seeing like the byproduct of from a professional side of leadership books that I've read in terms of how you lead, how you interact, how you resonate with people. 
How do you get people to like you? You know, how do you build trust? And that's where I really, it was a raw area that I could really use as a training ground to help me build my professional career. Hmm. And it really, really, I guess it really took off when I became president of that in terms of Prosper and dealing with, you know, it's not a paid position, but you're dealing with people on a day-to-day basis of, you know, people that may think they have a D1 athlete and their kid's only two years old, you know, and how, <laughs> yeah. do you get, how do you build the trust on that? But also how do you get people to follow you in the direction of where you think you should take them? And a lot of that from regions, I mean, I still got books that I read on a constant basis. I mean, one of the best books that I've ever seen was Rick Pitino's book, Success is a Choice and the Bowden Way. And I'll read it. I have these on my on my desk. It's just something where I picked up that servant leadership, leading with the heart, leading without emotion, leading with passion, being genuine. I think those things portray into building trust and building likability. I mean, I think obviously you have to build likability, but I think that doing what you say you're going to do and following through it builds the trust, builds the credibility. And then obviously you can develop yourself into a leader. I think leaders can be made. I really, really think that. I think that people mm. can change and leaders can be made. I think that if you think in terms of just this is where I want to go and that's your vision, and this could be you know, completely opposite of your vision 25 years ago. But I think if you are truly passionate about your vision and leadership is, is part of that, I think you can build on that. I think you can remake yourself into a leader. But the main thing that I see that, that leaders need to have. And this is just, again, my opinion is just being told to be, just be genuine, you know, just be who you are, you know? And as a guy that I've had, you know, an upbringing that is a little, little sketchy and I won't get into that, but I was always curious in terms of how I could resonate with folks or how I could be just a leader in a position where I didn't know how to be a leader. Right. And that's where I grow the books and the trainings and just putting myself in certain scenarios where I had to lead. I had to figure it out, right? And you put yourself in those scenarios. And there's an old saying, it's very vague, you know, you're going to either sink or swim, right? And mm-hmm. I swam and I enjoyed it. I enjoy leading, but I enjoy leading not because I know I'm leading. I enjoy leading because I see the byproduct of what I've given people, you know, either through sports or either through a service like we do today. I look past of the solution and say, yes, I'm increasing productivity. Yes, I'm bringing people back home safe. Yes, I'm having more people smile at work because, you know, they have something that's they got a better meal than they had yesterday. Those are the things that I look at and then put myself in their shoes and say, hey, what do they see that I don't see? And then try to build that solution. And I think I just think people miss the bucket. They just miss the target in terms of just you just can't you can't be a leader to be a leader. I speak on this passionately because I've seen too much of it. If you're going to be a leader, be genuine about it. You know, have a reason why you're a leader. Does that make sense? I mean, what would cause someone to not be a genuine leader? I think having certain goals that are aligned to team goals. I mean, and I think that you can have that, but I also think that, or having a certain agenda, a certain strategy that plays out that other people can see. That isn't necessarily the team goal, the team strategy. And, you know, I think that in this day and age, you know, especially as hard as it is to try to find good people to work for you, people see that and they want to work for people that have their best interest at heart. You know, they want to know that you know 
their wife or their husband's name and their kids' names and where their kids go. They want to know these things. And it means a ton, man. I mean, to me, it just, it's more, if you know those things, it's almost like playing football. I mean, and I see this, it's like, there are coaches that you want to play for and there's coaches that you don't want to play for, right? (laughs) Yeah. And there's the coaches that you do want to play for. There are certain subtleties that they do that and show and lead with that makes it easier for you want to play for, you know, and it's just like a light switch. Are you going to do this? Absolutely. There's no question. Yeah. Where guys, you're like, you want to do this? Eh, I don't know. I don't, you know, you're not bought in. So it takes a lot to buy into leadership for sure. But I think you can make it a lot easier if you do it the right way. Yeah. That kind of leads me into my next question is, and it could be whether it's leadership or business or anything personal, but now that you've gone through the years of experience, obviously, you know, and even in sports, you've been exposed to a lot on a, on a really high level, but just overall, has there been any core beliefs that you've changed your mind on over the last couple of years? And I mean, again, it could be related to personal views on life or leadership or even just energy, but because as we get older, we take a lot of the wisdom that we've gained early on on our careers or our paths to where then we can slowly start connecting the dots and kind of think a little bit differently. And they call that crystallized intelligence. So I'm curious, you know, for someone like yourself, who's got the experience now, if there's been anything that you've like any core belief that you've changed your mind on over the last few years. I don't know if it's a necessary belief, you know, way back when I always wanted, especially being in sales, you always wanted everybody to like you, right? The likability factor was high and, you know, you wanted everyone to you know, if you want to put it on in a disc term, like a D or an IRS term, so, you know, I'm a high, I'm a high D, very high D, very high I means that I want to have some control and I want to have the respect. But at the same time with a high I, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm in the limelight and that, that I'm entertaining and, and I'm, you know, I'm a socialite too. So it's, it can kind of battle itself out in certain instances. But <laughs> the one thing that I've gravitated towards, especially the last five, six years is I don't necessarily need to have a fan base, right? What I need are, and this, it just every day, it seems I get closer to this philosophy. If I need a couple guys or, you know, it could be guys, girls, whatever it is, but I need people that are in my corner that I'm aligned with that. When I pick them up, I know that they have my back and they're going to pick me up and we're Mm -hmm. there for each other. And I don't necessarily need a thousand people that, I can say, hey, I know this guy or this guy, you know, we're going to go see the Cowboys game or you know, whatever. I don't need that anymore. I just need a good core set of guys at the table that I can share my good, the bad, the ugly with. And they give me their blunt, honest opinion, too, and say, Jay, this is wrong. Yeah, you need to keep doing this or I would change that. That's the one thing that I see that I value more and more these days is just having those guys in your corner, you know, getting your team right and and making sure that you have the right people that are there for you, you know, no matter what it is. And I really truly believe that we can think of things all day long and try to lift ourselves up, but we can't do that unless we have support from others. I mean, have to certain things you read, certain things you say, certain actions that people do. I mean, that gives you support, but having that interaction with people, just a core group of people, it means a lot to me. I'd rather seek my energy into those people out there that know me back and front and can give me the good, the bad, the ugly, than to just be, to just spread it thin and just say, 
you know, I'm just socializing, so to speak. And yeah, that's the one thing that's changed with growth for me is, you know, and I can relate that to business too on the professional side is what truly from a sell side that either I want to steer clear of or I want to learn more from. I mean, leadership's part of that. It's one of those things where you know it when it's in. It's almost like coaching. You can't get away from it. You always find yourself coaching. And I think the coaching is just a byproduct of, you know, being a leader. But at the end of the day, when I lay my head down, I just want to know that the people that are in my corner, that we all have the same alignment, the same beliefs. I got their back and I know they got mine. That's at huge, man. Day, that's what you want. I mean, you want those people in your corner because life's going to get rough. I love Rocky. Actually, I love all of the shows. Some of them <laughs> are better than, better than some other of the others. But And I still have that whole, I think it was Rocky Five. I can't remember which one. When he was sitting with his son. And he said, the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a mean, nasty place. You know, he has that quote, right? Yeah. And I have the, my son bought it for me. I have it in my office right in front of me. And I truly believe that. But the world's going to eat you up. But unless you have the support system in your place, it's just going to crumble you. But you, yeah. if you have that support system, you got people to turn to. And as a kid and just, you know, growing up, I always try to, you know, keep things internalized. And now I think that's a byproduct of seeing if I can just communicate better. If I can be transparent, I got guys in my corner that can say, Jack, I can help you. You know, what mm-hmm. do you need help for? I see you're going the wrong way. Let me get you a blinder, put some blinders on your head and let me get you going in the right direction. And that's all you need in life, man. It's just someone to help you steer the course. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, for you, it's the value of relationships over volume of relationships. And it's easy in sales to make as many possible acquaintances as possible to have everyone like you, but to truly have a core group of people that support each other. I mean, that's absolutely huge. And to me, it starts at home, you know, with your spouse, your kids. I always credit my wife that if it wasn't for her support in the system that we've built at home, I couldn't leave home with, you know, a clear mind and just a drive to succeed every single day if I'm worried about what's happening at home. And so I think, you know, and it sounds like you value that as well. It's just a strong support system starts at home and then through relationships that you build along the way in business. And then, yeah, together, I mean, because you can't do it all yourself. And that's one thing that I've realized too, is, is like, you can't, I can't do everything by myself. I need to lean on others. And that's how empires are built. It's, you know, divide and conquer, support each other. And that's what it's all about. So in the interest of time, Jason, I do want to close out with a couple of personal questions that are always kind of fun. But so the one I'm going to ask is for you is aside from, I mean, I see the Johnny Menzel in the background. I see the football. I get, I get so much. <laughs> it's a 50-50 from Menzel, man. I was going to say, if you the ideal Friday night, aside from hanging out with Johnny Menzel at the club, because I, I would like to do that too, because I don't know, he likes to rock out pretty hard. He needs to slow down a bit. Menzel, if you listen to this podcast, man, tap all the brakes just a bit, man. Just a is bit. It, he's, he's still in his 20s, isn't he? he's still trying to figure out life he probably still has a couple baby teeth he needs to lose before (laughs) trying to figure out the path he wants to go down but from a football athlete he's a beast and i give him nothing but utmost respect for what he did on the football field i've made terrible decisions in my life so i don't have the right to judge anybody so i don't care what he does so but so going back to the question what does your ideal friday night look like and who would you spend it with Oh man, I, <laughs> I don't even know why I didn't prepare for it because you ask it every time. <laughs> I'm like, why did I have this ready, right? <laughs> you know what? These days, it's different as you grow. 
I guess there's two options I would have. If I wasn't with family, I'm a history buff. So I was and uh-huh. I always, for some reason, I always like the Civil War is always just fascinated me. Like, how do you have a country that's just divided? And I get why it's divided for sure. And I understood it. But it's just amazing to me, like the different ideas and cultures that were there. And it just split and splintered a whole country. But there was one man that brought everyone back together. And I'd always like to just, and it just fascinates me, the things that I read, but Abe Lincoln. I mean, I've always, if I could just sit and have an hour, you know, and just understand like why and how and in his philosophies and his ideas and how he got through those. There's a picture that I've seen on the History Channel of when his, you know, the day one of his presidency. Okay. And then, you know, obviously the day he was shot. And you could see from his facial, just the physical, just how his facial... It just how he grew so old in a short amount of time, but the pressure that was on him, you know, and I always like wondered like how much pressure was on this guy. I mean, he has a nation that was split going to war with each other. And it was just, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I really couldn't imagine. So it's either that sitting down, having a cup of coffee with Abe Lincoln, which kind of, it sounds crazy, but yeah, I would. I love that. That's very interesting, man. Or, you know, these days we got a cabin out in Arkansas and we just, we spent the weekend out there. So it's either out in Arkansas, it's in the middle of nowhere. You can get on a side-by-side or we have a couple four-wheelers too, and you can ride for days and you won't see anybody. And That's you know, cool. it probably feels like, it probably feels like the Northern Canada, you know, up there in Canada, <laughs> where you're from, but you yeah. know, it's getting out there. We have a cabin sitting on the porch, you know, seeing some of the guys that are around there from Arkansas that... I haven't seen in a while and life is a lot slower down there and it just, it feeds you. It fills your bucket. It puts some energy back into you. I always tell my wife is that, you know, let's move up there. She's like, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's one of the two. It's a Friday night by the cabin, jumping on side by side and then going out and just, you know, burning rubber on some dirt roads for hours on end and not seeing anybody, you know? Yeah. It's the one's very doable. The other one, you know, got to hope someday that, you know, when I get up to heaven, I can have that scenario. Sit down with oh. me and say, you know, what did you tell me? Tell me some of those stories. That would be very cool. Man, that is cool. Well, I have no doubts that that'll happen at some point in this eternity of or whatever we call life. Who knows? But man, this has been an absolute pleasure, Jason. It's aside from meeting you here in Houston, man, this is the longest we've had a chance to talk and I'm super grateful for it. If the folks out there listening are interested in connecting with you to either chop it up on some things we talked about today or to get to know more about Sodexo and what you guys offer, what's the best way? And I'll put the link in the show notes so you don't have to like spell out your name and everything for like email, but what's the best way for people to connect with you? By email. You know, obviously you can text and I'll send you the number too, but text, call, email, whatever. I mean, these days it's however, I'm either on the road or behind the, the desk at the office or in Houston. So yeah, one or the other, but I'll cool. send that up to you and you, that'd be grateful. You know, yeah. one thing I want to say to you, I made sure I said this last time, and I think it's even more so since I've seen you and what you've done, not just in the industry, but just as a good human in nature is, man, keep up what you're doing because the things that you do, I mean, I'm serious, dude, the things that you do, you never know what impact that has with someone. You know, you really don't know. And these days, I think the more positivity that we can present ourselves with and just push out to, you know, that that type of energy out to the world, the better. 
you know, and some people may say we have a, you know, a broken America, this and that and the other, but I truly believe in positive energy and bringing people together. And Oh yeah. I'm spreading the purple heart, man. It's not blue or red. It's we're all purple. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, seriously, just engage with people, be intent with people. Don't, you know, if you see someone on the street and they need help, man, help them, you know, and doesn't mean give them a dollar or anything like that. It just, there are other ways you can do it. Just show that appreciation. I guess that's one thing that I've grown to do so as well is just making sure that the people that are in my corner, man, I appreciate them. That's what I want people to know that if you're there and you're doing good things, I may not know you, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, keep it up. And more people like that. So it's what you guys are doing and what you're doing, man. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I'll bounce that back to you, man. To what you've done and your just way of expressing yourself is amazing. And I look up to that and genuinely appreciate it. I'm deeply humbled by the kind words. I hate being in, you know, I appreciate it, but it's, I don't do this for the accolades, man. I do this to help people like you and just help connect the right people and spread the good word on whether it's oil and gas, energy in general, business relationships, sales, leadership. We just, we need more conversations of positivity, like I said. So I appreciate you coming on the show at such short notice. I'll put the links in the show notes. Everyone that's listening, please collect with Jason on LinkedIn. He's been actually, I've noticed you've been doing, putting out a lot more content, which I love for everyone out there. Appreciate you listening. Always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the joke. Let's go to town. Thanks everybody. Amen. Thanks, man. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.